Welcome to the Christ and Classics podcast. Wait, what do I say again? <laughs> I promise you, I'm not trying to do this. Here we go. Welcome to the Christ and Classics podcast, where we discuss the classics in light of Christ. My name is Devin Wilkins, and this is my co-host, Colton Moore. Today, episode six, we are reading... Nope, we're discussing the oh. Iliad, book five. Diomedes fights against the gods. Boom. I'll summarize it rapid, quick, and uh, and then Colton, you'll take it away. So, in book five, the battle continues. Where you know, previously there had been the fight with between Menelaus and Paris, and <laughs> and uh, that didn't go according to plan. And so now the battle continues with. The Trojan Pandarus breaking the sworn truce in the previous book. And Athena gives Diomedes like crazy abilities to distinguish between gods and men on the battlefield. So he can actually see when, uh, say, Ares is helping the Trojans. And she gives him one condition, quote, So now if a god comes up to test your mettle, you must not fight the immortal powers head on. All but one of the deathless gods, that is. If Aphrodite, daughter of Zeus, slips into battle, she's the one to stab with your sharp bronze spear. Holy smokes. Mm. So that happens. And then Pandarus, uh, he ends up dying by Diomedes' spear uh, after engaging with him. That was my favorite part of this book. (laughs) Was it? Well, it was just... That's a little... I, I I know a little oh, hard. Sure. I just thought it was so ironic because uh, he tried to kill Menelaus and mm-hmm. to get glory and uh, broke the truce. Uh, chaos broke out, and then he's like, "Diomedes, I'm going to get you. Then I'll get. Then the glory's mine." And then he flings his arrow, and it misses Diomedes, and Diomedes, Diomedes immediately uh, throws his spear into his chin and kills him. And it's like, oh gosh, <laughs> so much for your. Uh, uh, vain bravado there, Pandarus. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just chuckled when well, I write. But I, I, read that. I do feel bad for Pandarus because he's often prodded by the gods to do this sort oh, of thing. Mm. And it's not. It's not as though he would have shot Menelaus on his own, you know, of his own volition without the gods prodding him. Oh yeah, anyway. he, he, like using him. Yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe I shouldn't chuckle so much at Pandarus. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Pandarus. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Diomedes is, he's just on a roll, uh, taking out a whole bunch of people. It's like he's an Achilles. Uh, even Aeneas shows up and Diomedes nearly kills him as well. Mm-hmm. But Aphrodite, who turns out to be Aeneas's mom, uh, rescues him. And Diomedes, uh, seeing Aphrodite during that rescue, strikes her. And she begins bleeding immortal blood. And Icker. Yeah, yeah, Icker. Whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah, because they don't eat or drink or whatever. Right. And anyway. Even, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she goes up to Olympus, talks to her mom. Her mom comforts her and heals her and all that. And, uh, and then Apollo comes and protects Aeneas and takes him away from harm. And the god of war, Ares, comes down and... Uh, starts fighting for the Trojans. Hera gets ticked and 
basically gets permission from Zeus to go to send Athena down and um, to to fight the battle uh, on behalf of the Achaeans who are taking a beating because of Ares. And the book basically ends uh, with uh, uh, basically with with the gods kind of going back and forth. Uh, Ares himself gets hurt uh, by it's by Diomedes, isn't it? Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, Strikes him right and, in the gut with his spear. Oh my goodness, yes. And uh, so Ares goes up, similar to Aphrodite, and goes to Zeus. Zeus says he's he's his least favorite of all oh, of the Olympians. Poor Ares. But then uh, says, "But you are my son. You know, to me, your mother bore you. If you had sprung from another god, believe me." And grown into such a blinding devastation, long ago you would have dropped below the titans deep in the dark pit. <laughs> yes. But then he goes on to heal him. Um, and and the, the book largely ends on, on that note. So that's, yet again, this has been another long-winded summary from Devin Wilkins. <laughs> and uh, following is a, uh, is a few half-baked but very curious questions that uh, I can choose from. Like, I, so I guess the first question that I, I guess we could uh, launch this ship out to sea with is, um, well, make sure it's back... a beautiful question. <laughs> if it's a back... beautiful question, it'll launch a thousand ships. <laughs> Wait, was it you who said in the previous episode that there was like, uh, if 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 one Helen launched a thousand ships, then one Mila Helen would. Uh, Lunch one. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll evaluate your question in Mill Helens. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's just back up. This is this is a, a pretty interesting chapter, uh, n- not just because there's lots of gore in it with uh, at the so hand much. of Diomedes, so but much. this is the only chapter where a man uh, gets or receives the ability to distinguish between gods and men and not only that but where a man wounds another god uh, and goddess two yeah yeah that's right and it raises a number of questions and the first one that i want to ask is how can gods be wounded by men so what's the what's it mean to be an immortal but yet also to be wounded uh Another way to ask the question uh, is, what's the difference between being physically harmed by a human, uh, sorry, as a human, and to be physically harmed as a god or a goddess? I mean, we, we've all, we're already prepared by Homer for the notion of a god being wounded in some capacity. We've, we've heard of the story of Hephaestus being, uh, at least in this uh, story, the Iliad being thrown down from the mm-hmm. heights by Zeus and be becoming crippled. And mm-hmm. so we think, okay, this immortal God, so, so the gods can be wounded in some regard. They're, 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 they can be bonded and, and restrained. We saw like, I think it's in book two mm-hmm. where Thetis is appealing to Zeus and saying, Hey, remember that one time that Hera and Athena, and I think it was Poseidon who bound you down and I came and helped you. 
So they can be bound, right. they can be manipulated in, in similar ways that humans can. And now we see specifically wounded, like Aphrodite is speared on the hand by Diomedes. And right. uh, Homer says that Icar, this, this, this immortal blood flows from her. But then about a few lines later, he calls her bloodless. Right. Like, well, the gods are bloodless. Get? So we call them deathless. Right. But what's going on here? <laughs> right. And so my first thought is, well, um, either they can receive wounds that would typically be mortal wounds for humans that would send them to their death and the gods not die from them, somehow being miraculous, miraculously healed or... Or, this is what is, what intrigues me most, mm. or they possibly can die, but it's just that fate, the, the, the fates um, have another mind of their own. And uh, what am I trying to say? Like, yeah. they possibly can die, but there are, but uh, means of, that prevent them from dying come just right at the right moment to keep them from dying. Now, I don't have any textual evidence for that, but it's just a thought that I have. What do you think? Yeah. That's a, I mean, that, that was puzzling me as well. And I'm not going to answer that question immediately. Anyway, though, <laughs> but I can say that, something similar happens to Aeneas. He receives a wound and he's swept away by a god and healed. Uh, much like what happens with, with, with the gods in this, um, in book five. You know, uh, a greater god rescues the wounded and uh, heals them as, and the same thing happens with, with Aeneas. So it does seem, I mean, certainly humans don't quite have the capacity to do the healing, but maybe it's, it's a, a capacity that the gods do have. Um, their blood is still red. It still flows from them when they get stabbed, but somehow it's different. Yeah. Yeah, death. So, I mean, they're constantly called deathless. <laughs> Just yeah, yeah, and like um, after Diomede stabs Ares, Ares goes up to Olympus, and he's uh, he runs to his father Zeus, and that's when Zeus kind of lays into him, and you kind of feel for the for for the guy, like mm -hmm. he's he, he's the god who's always crusted in blood. Uh, Homer describes him as, and uh, Zeus says he is always hanging around strife because he loves the he loves when people are battling and and killing each other. Right. And then in line a thousand and forty two, this was a long uh, book. <laughs> yeah, it sure was. It sure was. He says so. So great Zeus declared and ordered the healing god to treat the god of war, and covering over Ares's wound with pain killing drugs. The healer, I don't, uh, oh, he, uh, Hebe, uh, cured him. The god who was never born to die. And so evidently, Ares needed a healer 
without which his wound, I'm assuming, would not have healed. Mm-hmm. So then that again, that, that just raises the question yet again that we haven't really quite answered. I don't think we can answer it really from from this from this text. And um, I don't have a solid answer yet, but it raises the question. So the gods can be wounded and not and and need certain kinds of things to happen in order for their bodies to heal like humans. Well, then if that's right. the case, what does it mean to be a god or a goddess then other than having special supernatural powers? Right. Or yeah. is that or is that really what it means to be a god or a goddess in in this epic poem? Because they're obviously not a moral standard that 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 we believe as Christians. Right. Um, uh, rather that we would expect as Christians um, our God is not just almighty and powerful and, and has um, supernatural, from our vantage point at least, uh, abilities, but he's an upright and moral exemplar. He's the standard of righteousness to which we all look uh, for right. guidance. And you can't do that with any of the gods. So what's it mean to be, what's it mean to be immortal? What's it mean to be a god or a goddess it, as, opposed to a, a, as opposed to a human? Right, right. It it does seem that so these gods don't die natural deaths, uh, presumably. These gods fight one another often. <laughs> um, these gods fight one another by proxy, often through humanity. They're battling one another. So uh, Ares and Aphrodite both get hurt because Hera and Athena uh, want that. I mean, <laughs> they they want the Achaeans to do well, and they want the gods who are backing up the Trojans, harming the Achaeans, to uh, to be stopped, to be harmed. And um, even Aphrodite, they seems like they'd be happy for Aphrodite to just die. Um, so, yeah, that they they seem to not die of natural causes, but could be you know maybe their lives could be taken from them mm-hmm. uh, by you know unnatural causes, and yeah, they're it, constantly fighting one another. It's uh, yeah. It, it's similar to, um, well, uh, and yeah, similar to the 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 worldview the worldview of oh, the gods okay. that you would that you would see in. <laughs> what did you say? I didn't hear you. I was going to say the elves and Tolkien. <laughs> oh, it, well, it kind of like the the elves and Tolkien. Is, uh, they can die. Uh, but only in a battle or by natural cause. They don't die of old age. But the, right. the gods yeah, of the gods of Middle Earth, though, like the 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 Ainur, or specifically the Maiar, the the less uh, the well, mm-hmm. yeah, the Maiar who kind of rule over um, Middle Earth. Sauron being one of them, mm-hmm. he he doesn't die, but his power is bound up in uh, a large part of it is in the ring. And so whenever it gets destroyed, 
he doesn't die and go away forever. He he goes he he's still living, but just in an utter uh, abyss. Mm-hmm. But um, in in a way, wounded still. Mm-hmm. Um. But another question that I have that's related to this: Well, what's the difference? <laughs> what's the difference between the immortality of the gods and the immortality of men? Because we see men going down to the house of death, especially in the Odyssey, and they're conscious beings. They're alive. Right. I mean, it's it's right. it's, a, it, it's a valid question for Christians today. What's it mean that that we're going to live either forever in uh in in an eternal bliss or or in an eternal fire, whatever hell will look like and, and, and be like, you'll be conscious, most evangelicals would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to be conscious and living. So what's the difference between uh, God who lives forever and now h- humans with souls that live forever? Here within Book 5 of the Iliad. Uh, I mean, I, I think I think that the broad concept is here in Book Five in the Iliad, but also uh, um, is 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 in line with with the scriptures too. At least the concept of the immortality of the soul and its relationship to the immortality of of um, of a uh, of a divine being. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Do we have any any indication that the immortals if they were to to entirely perish that they would go to the house of death here in book five i'm just thinking anywhere the, uh, wait i'm sorry what, what's your what restate your question again <clears throat> well you were asking about how do how do the the gods and humans differ in terms of their immortality, if humans also have an afterlife. Uh-huh. And I was just wondering, would the gods have an afterlife? They kind of inhabit oh, an afterlife already in like, and in, they're not visible typically. Um, you know, they dwell on Mount Olympus. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering what, comes next for them and uh, i'm not entirely sure i know yeah uh, yeah interesting so like the from my understanding uh the uh the heavens and the earth gave birth to the titans the elder gods mm-hmm. yes and the elder elder gods gave birth to the olympians yes. zeus was hidden um on the island of cyprus while Cronus was eating all his other children and Zeus, <laughs> <laughs> which is a bizarre story. Like yeah. we should go through, we should go through, uh, Hesiod's, uh, theogony, uh, maybe at, at some point to kind of work through some of these details, but yeah, for some good encouragement. And so like the question is like, they have, the gods have a beginning. It's not yes. like, it's not like Yahweh of the old Testament. Who's everlasting to everlasting. They have yeah. a beginning. Do they have an end? Mm-hmm. And if if they do have an end, will they just cease to live forever, or like humans, as you say, ha- have an afterlife? That's really interesting. I I don't know, but um, it it's worth maybe 
uh, digging into uh, right. Homer and and all the succeeding uh, subsequent Greek literature that that comes after him to search for an answer. I'm sure mm-hmm. I'm sure there have been something written on, on the topic somewhere. But, yeah. Um, so so go ahead. This is just one of those instances where we've got a question, and we. Um, we ha- <laughs> we can't really answer the question, but we're just trying to refine it a bit and try to get approach it from a few different angles to 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 refine what it is we're even trying to ask ask about. And um, I'm just trying to say uh, from like a pedagogical or um, methodological perspective, um, <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with that. That's what I tell my students often. It's like, well, we've got this question. Who knows the answer? Well, none of us really do, but we've been talking about it for about 30 minutes now in class. <laughs> and that's okay. That's, that's, that's in a way, that's part of the goal. So. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I guess, so the, the question up to this point has been, what's the difference between a human and a God? Really? Uh, kind of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can they both be is what's the difference i mean that, that, that that's really the end of yeah the I, I think it, at least one big difference has to be that the gods have powers and sovereignties that humans uh don't have Correct. gods can uh gods can move back and forth really quickly from location to location. They can seemingly go in and out of different uh, spheres of reality being on earth. And then up in this mysterious quasi physical Olympus, gods Mm -hmm. can hide themselves from men. They can hide other people and inanimate objects from men in this really strange and nebulous mist. Mm -hmm. And we, we see that in this book, uh, preeminently, so I think, with Diomedes, who's given the 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 ability to distinguish between the two. And, and another question that I have is, well, what in the world is he looking at? If he sees Aphrodite and Ares in their purity, is he looking at a human? Is he looking at the god and goddess in the form of a human, another human, or is he looking hmm. directly at the <clears throat> the god and goddess in all their purity? And if in all, and if it's in all their purity. What do they look like? <laughs> Whatever their purity is. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I got the sense that it was looking at the god or goddess themselves as they seem to have form. You know, she, Aphrodite gets stabbed in the wrist, and Harry, uh, Harry's, <laughs> Harry's, <laughs> Harry's that Harry fellow gets Harry, uh, Harry Potter. You're a wizard, Harry. Yes, you're a god of war, Ares. Um, He gets stabbed in the gut. And it seems that Diomedes sees all this. They seem to have human form, just not visible typically to the human eye. Often they um, manifest themselves in the form of someone else. And, And in that case, they are visible, but they just... They're not visible as their normal self, but Diomedes sees them as their their normal selves. 
Yeah, I mean, this is a, I mean, this, this is a side note. We, uh, with my eleventh graders, mm-hmm. we just uh, we read book one of Ovid's Metamorphoses to kind of give us a flavor of this ancient Latin epic that plays a big part in Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream, and mm-hmm. this theme of metamorphosis, like transforming gods being unseen, but but then transforming into something visible uh, or not being visible at all, but uh, uh, affecting things physical happens all over the place. And I just wonder why is that so uh, prominent in, in Homer or or even in an ancient worldview? I mean, we see it Hmm. in the Bible with the transfiguration. We see it all the time in the old Testament with the angel of the Lord coming in, in various forms. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. a, it seems to be a, a common uh, a common consciousness woven throughout a variety of different uh, forms yeah. of religion. A peek into the spiritual realm. Yeah. Like humanity knows that there's something more beyond what we merely see, mm-hmm. despite what our current uh, culture, you know, would, would posit that there's um, a long-standing universal sense that there's more to life than mere material and that's it's fascinating to see you know how the greeks you know go about uh, working that out they um yeah that they end up as we've said in the past kind of creating or fashioning the spiritual realm in the likeness of their own human realm and I mean, the, the gods and goddesses are not they're not pure actually they're not lovely <laughs> no no uh, and and they seem to be very fickle and not that dependable and so after you know if you happen to be related to one uh, kind of like the the angels in the in Genesis, like having babies with men, perhaps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if you happen to be related to one, then they're going to look out for you, like Thetis or uh, Aphrodite. But if you're not related, oof, it, you might be in for <laughs> a whole lot of sorrow and. Frankly, if you're related, you're also going to be in for a lot of sorrow. Oh, well, that's interesting, too. I mean, we're, we're running out of time, but Odysseus is the apple of Athena's eye. Mm-hmm. And as far as, I'm, as far as I'm aware, he's not related to her, but she loves right. him. Why? Hmm. Seems, yeah, it seems that she sees herself in him. Um, and that becomes oh. even more apparent in... Oh good in the odyssey but uh, yeah the, she, go ahead she sees herself in him it's kind of like um it's kind of like how we we christians can can see ourselves in in jesus kind of like he's like our vision uh, through which we see <laughs> a, a, everything and <laughs> it just so happens that we've got a great friend named michael dorsey <laughs> who's written for us a great uh, rendition of, of, of this hymn Be Thou My Vision Yes, and thank you Micah, for real though <laughs> yeah, For real if, if you don't know Micah Dorsey 
check him out because he is rocking. Before we get to Micah's outro, we should say thank you for listening. If you've made it thus far, uh, oh, if you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. Uh, it helps get the word out. And also, uh, if you if you've got a few minutes of of energy, uh, leave a review. Um, and yeah, be honest you, too. Yeah. And we'd love uh, we'd love the feedback. Um, all in all, uh, yeah, w- praise God that He is not actually like what we would be left to imagining Him to be like, mm-hmm. as the Greeks were. Um, left to ourselves, we might we might get some things right, like there there's an immortal realm and and things like that. But in the end, man, they are so far off. Yeah. Um, Our God doesn't just come in the form of a man, but he comes actually as a man while yet remaining God. And doesn't flee as soon as he gets pricked in the wrist, but actually takes, you know, nails through the wrists and ankles and dies on the cross for our sakes that we might enjoy immortality, you know, that we might enjoy eternal life with him in his presence. Uh, These gods are not ultimately concerned with humanity. Ultimately they're concerned with their own agenda. Mm. Uh, And praise God, praise God that he's, different and reveals himself to us yeah amen amen wow man that was good that was good take us away rock Interested in growing your ancient language skills but not sure where to start? Glow's House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glow's House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glow's today. Glow's House, language resources for the global community.